0: Why don't falling raindrops kill mosquitoes? How many licks does it take to reach the centre of a lollipop? What makes a hungry fruit fly look for food? Sounds funny? Well, those questions are actually topics researched by serious scientists. In today's Frontline, we'll try to bring you some of the answers.
1: Hello and welcome to Frontline. I'm Ningyan in Beijing. Science is often considered to be dry, dull or even just plain boring. But curiosity is an innate characteristic of human beings and pushes us closer to what may initially seem like uninteresting scientific research. It's summertime. Mosquitoes are probably the most disliked insects of the season. Mosquito buzzes its way towards an open window. Its unsuspecting victim is sleeping peacefully in bed. Suddenly, as it escapes the crime scene, a raindrop plummets straight down towards the insect. The droplet should have the same impact as a Volkswagen Beetle falling on a human and knock the mosquito out of the air. We might all wish that's what happened. But to our eternal disappointment... The tiny pest survives this collision. We know this is what happens, but we do not know the reason. Why don't falling raindrops kill mosquitoes? Because they are quicker than the
0: raindrops.
1: Because they are very thin, very small, they can actually
2: fly in between the raindrops.
0: They are not killed by a rainstorm. It means that uh, nature is like this.
2: When
0: it's raining, the mosquito will hide in somewhere without raining. Because mosquitoes are strong enough to survive such impacts.
1: These are just a few of our wild guesses. But scientists are trying to find an answer for us through meticulous research. David Hu is an associate professor of mechanical engineering and biology at the Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta, USA. Dr. Hu believes that to start the research, it would be better to put ourselves into the mosquito's shoes.
3: If you're a mosquito, the raindrops becomes a very big problem. A mosquito is very small and it's very lightweight. In fact, a raindrop weighs 50 times as much as a mosquito.
1: In order to solve the puzzle, Hu and his colleagues set up an experiment that made the most of their skills.
3: It's very difficult to wait for the rain and then find a very small mosquito in the the big outdoors. So what we decided to do is we went to a local laboratory called the Center for Disease Control, where they raise mosquitoes in the lab. And we brought 100 mosquitoes back in a very small container that's very tall. Imagine 100 mosquitoes flying around in a jar.
1: They call the jar a flight arena. It's a 20-centimeter-high acrylic cage covered with a mesh top that allows water to enter.
3: Now we have to simulate rain. What we do is we take small drops, put them at the ceiling, And we let the drops fall and they accelerate and they get faster and faster until they become as fast as rain. And we aim these drops right on top of the mosquito.
1: All the mosquitoes are able to escape from raindrop impacts instead of crashing into the bottom of the cage.
3: To look at it, we use a high-speed camera that can film 10,000 frames per second. That's about 300 times faster than your normal camera. So we can look exactly at what the drops are doing as they hit the mosquito. So we align the camera with a laser. When the mosquito passes by the laser, we turn on the camera.
1: The video shows that most of the collisions are glancing blows on the wings and legs rather than on the insects' bodies. The impacts cause the mosquitoes to pitch, yaw, or roll, depending on where they are hit. Even when the mosquitoes took a direct hit, they still recover after falling no more than about 20 body lengths.
3: They take advantage of their being very light. So imagine you a raindrop hits your hand, and the raindrop will splash. Well, when a raindrop hits a mosquito, the raindrop and the mosquito become one object. So the mosquito sort of joins the raindrop. It's allowing the raindrop to push it, and so it doesn't receive any force.
1: They ride the drops tumbling for just a few thousandth of a second before their wings catch the wind again. Then the mosquito releases itself from the water droplet. The results of these experiments were published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences and received extensive attention. Concluded that the surprising effect is not only due to the mosquito's lightness of being, but also to its exoskeleton, the hot outer covering that protects its inner organs. However, mosquitoes don't always survive after being hit by raindrops.
3: The principle relies on two things. The mosquito has to be really light and it has to be flying. So, if a mosquito is sitting on the ground and it gets hit by the raindrop, it would also get killed. You would expect if you get hit by a car, you basically die.
1: According to Dr. Hu, the unexpected findings offer little help in controlling the pest.
3: We use insecticides all the time to try to kill the mosquitoes. Now we understand that the rain is not going to stop them. We have to still use insecticides during the rainstorm.
1: However, the discovery does have bigger practical meanings helping engineers to improve the design of tiny flying robots.
3: There's a lot of interest in, in small flying robots. The big question is how do they survive outdoors, where the air is moving very fast or there's heavy rain. The big result we found is that the smaller the organism, the more strong it is. It has some unforeseen advantages, um, that it really can't get destroyed even if you hit it very hard.
1: Actually, the discovery is not only research relevant to mosquitoes. For biologists, this is another exquisite example of how life has evolved to survive on a planet that's inundated with fluids. It will definitely provide more ideas for scientists and engineers to develop human technology. But for anyone who might be tempted to kill a mosquito by swatting it in mid-air, ha ha, it'll never work.
3: For example, you have mosquitoes flying. If you take your hand, you can try to hit it. But no matter how hard you hit the mosquito, you can't kill it. The only way you can kill the mosquitoes and is lying on the wall and hit it on the wall or hit it between two hands. Their body is so strong and they're so light that they really have to be crushed between two surfaces.
4: You might have heard about it, but it is not true. Rumor Shredder, shredding this and revealing the truth.
1: Dr. Who and his team's experiment proves that the little bloodsuckers are both very tiny and also very strong, and they're hard to find and kill. We human beings have been trying hard for generations to look for effective methods to avoid being bitten by them. It's summer, and the advertising for the so-called mosquito plot has returned. The tagline goes like this. It's a green and pure natural way to repel mosquitoes without any threat or danger from synthetic chemicals. This will be the first rumour that will shred today. The so-called mosquito plant is an unreliable way to repel the Petsky critters. According to the sellers, the plant was developed in the late 1980s by Dutch botanist Dr. Dirk van Lini, who claimed it was a genetically engineered hybrid of an African rose-scented geranium and Chinese citronella grass. But the story of the mosquito plant was later exposed as a hoax. The plant was actually found to be a scented geranium, was a fragrance that strongly resembled the familiar smell of citronella. The Herb Society of America published a report which concluded that it did not protect human subjects from mosquito bites more than controls. In fact, just standing near living plants that repel mosquitoes is often not effective. It is the compounds found within the plants that do the repelling. These compounds need to be released from the plant by either crushing, drying or infusing the plant into an oil or alcohol base that can be applied to skin, clothing or living spaces. Rumour number 2 The giraffe is mute because it has no vocal cords. Hearing is believing and it's easy to hear the truth. This recording was taken from a videotape released by Blank Park Zoo in the USA to refute this rumor. Actually, the giraffe does have vocal cords or larynx. Compared to other animals, they're not very well developed. Dr. William M. Mann was a notable entomologist and the fifth director of the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. from 1925 to 1956. He wrote a letter on March 19, 1931, in which he said, I believe it is true that the giraffe has no characteristic voice at all. I've never heard one make any noise, and it is generally said that they do not. The 1936 annual report of the Game Wardens of Kenya stated that when separated from its mother, a young giraffe will bawl and low like a hungry calf.
0: Why don't falling raindrops kill mosquitoes? How many licks does it take to reach the centre of a lollipop? What makes a hungry fruit fly look for food? Sounds funny? Well, those questions are actually topics researched by serious scientists. In today's Frontline, we'll try to bring you some of the answers. The
1: Tootsie Pop one of the most famous lollipops in the world, was created in 1931. However, its true mythology didn't start until 1969. This was the year the Candy's infamous animated commercial debuted.
3: Mr. Turtle, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop?
4: I never made it without biting. Ask Mr. Owl.
3: Mr. Owl. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop?
2: A good question. Let's find out. One, two, three,
0: three. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know.
1: Decades later, mathematicians at New York University have finally figured out the answer. This group of well-accredited candy lovers has determined that it takes a thousand licks to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. That number is an estimate for a one-inch lollipop, and it holds true only if the tongue does its job without any help from the teeth. The research group was led by applied mathematics professor Leif Ristrov. Mak Huan from China's Inner Mongolia Autonomous Region was one of the team members. Juan explains that their team built up mathematical models to do the research.
4: Using that model, we figured out, in general terms, how fluids dissolve materials. Then we found that the water turned the candy into a consistent shape no matter what its initial shape or the speed of the water current. And then we realized that that is basically what you are doing when you are enjoying a lollipop. So we calculated the number as the result.
1: So the answer to the lollipop leaking time is just a simple practical problem that a mathematical model can solve. Huang points out that they took an object of any size and used water with a standard flow speed to splash against the object. It could be taken as the same process as licking a lollipop. Then the experiment would determine how long it would take for the flowing water to dissolve all the material away.
4: Since our theory happened to predict and answer such a weird question, we put the lollipop story at the end of our paper in order to make it more interesting and attractive. Then it turned out that people really noticed it because of the lollipop thing and paid much attention to it. In fact, we really want to apply our findings to the industrial field.
1: Lollipoplex might sound like pure whimsy, but the study also has its serious side. Its aim is to describe in detail the process by which flowing water shapes and ultimately dissolves materials, a process of considerable interest to scientists in fields ranging from chemical engineering and pharmacology to geology. For example, the model could be used to predict how long it takes for a pill to dissolve in someone's stomach. Hey, what's the big idea? Huang then reveals that the researchers made their own lollipops for the study, and that some of the lollies wound up not in the water tunnel, but inevitably in the scientists' mouths. So sweet. There is another positive effect of the research, arousing so many people's enthusiasm in joining in with scientific experiments. A great deal of Internet users around the globe have carried out their own verification of the theoretical result. They've held a lollipop in one hand and a pen in the other to write down the number of legs. Of these citizen scientists, RiffRaff41 was the very first person to publish a test report as a tweet by posting a photo of a piece of paper with groups of lines on it, which were the record of legs, as well as the words 850 legs to centre.
4: You might have heard about it, but it is not true. Rumor Shredder, shredding this and revealing the truth.
1: Rumor number three. Eating meat will reduce people's IQ. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The truth is... There was a piece of research carried out by a team at Southampton University in the UK entitled IQ in Childhood and Vegetarianism in Adulthood, 1970, British Cohort Study. The paper concludes that higher IQ scores during childhood are associated with an increased likelihood of being vegetarian as an adult. The sequence and causation is put in this way intelligent children are more likely to become vegetarians later in life. The rumor creator shifted the cause and the effect, which is wrong. However, vegetarianism has been linked to better heart health. Rumor number four Honey water, milk, yogurt, celery water, green bean soup. They're all able to prevent us from getting drunk. No, no, no. The truth is, these food and drink items can do little to prevent people from getting drunk. Actually, there's no magic formula to prevent drunkenness or dispelling the effects of alcohol. There are just two ways to relieve the symptoms. One is to speed up the metabolic breakdown of alcohol, and the other is to drink a lot of water to help improve symptoms of dehydration, as well as to eat some food to increase sodium and potassium ions in the blood. So if you don't want to act the full after drinking too much, don't drink or drink less.
0: Why don't falling raindrops kill mosquitoes? How many licks does it take to reach the centre of a lollipop? What makes a hungry fruit fly look for food? Sounds funny? Well, those questions are actually topics researched by serious scientists. In today's Frontline, we'll try to bring you some of the answers.
3: I like to eat, and so do you. I like to cook my own food.
1: This is the pasta song by D-Lon, which outlines clearly the things we tend to do when we're hungry. We can't help but rush out to the canteen or cafeteria, rummage through our cupboards and fridge to look for a leftover half-cookie. Eating food is one of the most important things in life. Scientists are also interested in the procedures which govern this essential activity. Biologists have named such gorgeous behaviour of buying and eating as foraging. Li Ming-Wang's team at his lab at Zhejiang University has been working on the issue of eating, including researching into why to eat, what to eat and how much to eat. In order to answer the funny but important question, how do animals search for food? Scientists have carried out a thorough examination through the observation of fruit flies. Yang Zhe
2: is a young scientist in the team. What our lab is doing is studying fruit flies eating things. For example, in this case, we are studying the behavior of fruit flies after they get hungry and what causes or leads them to go to look for food.
1: Through observation, they have found that fruit flies stand still for a short while after eating and then suddenly start flying around again in a hurry looking for the next meal. If they can't find anything to eat, they'll keep searching until they die. By this token, the rushing condition is really an instinctive reaction of fruit flies when they're hungry.
2: We have found that hungry fruit flies display more vigorous activity and their hunting activity can be restrained by providing certain food signals. We have found out that these signals are controlled by octopamine.
1: Octopamine is an endogenous biogenic amine that has particular effects on the adrenergic and dopaminergic systems. After the scientists removed the octopamin from a group of fruit flies, they found that the foraging behavior of the fruit flies disappeared. Although they were starving, they didn't look for food using their own initiative. They acted as lazily as well-nourished fruit flies. However, the disabled fruit flies never lost the basic skills of eating. If some food was put near their mouths, the lazy-bones fruit flies would eat as much as hungry, unaltered fruit flies.
2: The interesting thing is, as we know, that it is Octopamine that leads the fruit flies to look for food. This means, for fruit flies, looking for food and eating food are two completely different types of behavior, and are controlled by different neural systems.
1: Well, 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 there is something of interest to those who have made up their minds to lose weight, but can't resist the temptation of food. If scientists can find the amen or neural signal that controls the foraging behavior of human beings becoming slim may turn out to be as easy as turning off a light the light in the fridge go scientist stop daydreaming go back to the current study. According to Yang, in the future, the team will focus on related studies, including how hunger activates the two systems of looking for food and eating food separately, and how neural systems work to make animals so smart that they eat if there's food nearby, but move away to look for food if there's no food in the immediate area. Now, let's go back to the question we mentioned at the beginning of the show. Why do people often think that science is boring, and how can it be made more exciting and accessible? Let's hear what Dr. David Hu, Mac Huang, and Yang Zhe have to say.
3: We think things are serious and boring when we don't understand them. And it's the scientist's job is to communicate to everyone. That is interesting. And what about it is interesting?
4: Everyone has his or her own interests. We happen to do what we are interested in. If the job you do is both interesting and meaningful to others, it is really significant.
2: Maybe the public see things from a different angle from scientists. But if you make friends with scientists, you will discover the interesting aspects of their personalities and their areas of interest. Their replies remind me of a scientist friend of the
1: program, Professor George Smoot, the winner of the 2006 Nobel Prize for Physics. He once played himself as a guest on the popular TV series The Big Bang Theory and humorously mocked the show's Sheldon Cooper like this
4: so i'm thinking you won the nobel prize what three years ago so you must deal with a whole lot of what has smoot done lately (laughs) my thought is we continue my research as a team you know cooper smoot alphabetical and when we win the nobel prize you'll be back on top
3: with all due respect dr cooper are you on crack (laughs)
1: As we conclude today's edition of Frontline, I want to share an interesting science-related story told by Professor Smoot.
3: And sometimes even the serious project, when you hear about it, sounds really funny. I saw a newspaper article that was republished on the anniversary of Lady Di, you know, Princess Diana's death. And it was new videotapes found, Lady Di alive for hours before she died. It's funny. I mean, everybody's alive for hours before they die. It's a question of how you present it as a headline.
1: With that, we've come to the end of this edition of Frontline. We hope you've enjoyed the show. I'm Ning Yan, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Bye-bye.